Hi everyone, welcome to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. I'm Veronica, I'm one of the team's interns for this summer, and today we're talking to Stefan Ben-Bruce, who just competed at the USA Track and Field National Championships in the 10K. So first of all, you guys just came back from family vacation after having some nice races at USA. So how was that? Going on vacation with your boys after probably a really stressful time in Sacramento, having them with you, but also very rewarding and fun. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, I actually I feel like the older Seth and I get, I mean, we sort of the stresses I think go down with racing. Um, and yes, the boys can bring some stress in, but we had some friends come with us to Sacramento, so they definitely helped out um, with the boys. And then um, it was kind of nice to have them the day after the race uh, to kind of just go explore Sacramento a little bit. And then, yeah, when we got back to Flagstaff, we hadn't really planned where we'd go, but we just sort of looked up places and found a place we could drive to. It's easier to drive than uh, fly again. Um, so yeah, we hit up Big Bear, Riley and Hudson got to drive a boat, which is pretty normal for one and three year olds. <laughs> and, um, and then we went to San Diego cause I have a lot of family in San Diego. So we were there for a few days and we had great weather and just sort of didn't worry about running as much, took days off. Um, and then, yeah, now it's kind of the hard part to sort of get the creaky legs going again. I'd say the biggest, um, joke is like, we don't call it. I guess you could call it a vacation, but when you have toddlers, it's not really a vacation because it's the same thing. They get up really early, um, so we don't exactly sleep in. It's just like a different form of a vacation than I think when we were earlier in our careers. It's like a trip, I guess. A trip. The kids yeah, yeah. get to have adventures, and um, we try to. We'll go to dinner, and think it think it'll work out, but then you find yourself chasing them around and <laughs> trying to get one pitcher to act like we're on a date. But uh, no. it's um, and chug your mojito as quick yeah. as you can. <laughs> schedule somewhat um, yeah. but I think it's good for them to get used to going places because that's just how we are and um, with our life and our running that's how it's going to be so um, I think the more we do it when they're young they won't be it won't be like a obstacle when they're older and it should get easier <laughs> that's what people tell us <laughs> <laughs> so what did you guys think about your races at USA's because you were both seated pretty decently going into the 10k and Ben this is your only second year doing the 10k at USA's so yeah, um, wasn't I wasn't too pleased with how it ended up. Um, I'd, I'd run the steeplechase for year after year after year after year, and then, funny enough, the two years I've run the 10K at USA's, they've been extremely hot. Um, and I know everyone has to run in the same conditions, but I think with extremes, um, some people handle, be handle it better, and um, I probably don't handle it as well as most, and I just... Felt kind of zapped of energy the last like five or six laps, and um, I was moving up. Thought I could get some people get back into the top ten, and then kind of just hit uh, not a big wall, but just kind of couldn't couldn't keep it going. And so yeah, a little bit of a disappointment. But uh, I think I had a good season leading up to USA. So sometimes when you have your goal race not go go perfectly, uh, you have to take a step back and know that there was some some definite strides made into leading into that race so to not look at it as a complete failure yeah ben always reminds me of that like what he just said about um making strides because i go back and forth between like having really big goals and big dreams and yeah if you had asked me earlier in the year i would say i would have i was looking at a shot to make the world team in the 10k um but the reality is i'm still not that far removed from you know having my second child and I'm making lots of strides in training and lots and lots of strides in staying healthy. So for me to look at the whole spring, um, I would say that was a win because I rarely had to take many days off. Um, I kind of deal with a constant um, condition of osteitis pubis after having my kids. And so we got that to a really good point where I was able to handle, you know, 90, 100 mile weeks. Um, so all in all, that was a positive. But then what happens is things started to go well and pick up in training. Um, after I ran the Stanford 10K and I broke 32 minutes, you know, then you start to see things like, okay, like if I ran that um, in that kind of race, what could I do, you know, with some of the top women 
in the country. Um, and I don't know if you get greedy because I don't really think I did anything incorrect in training, but I, I definitely got to a point where I felt like I was very, very fit and I was confident, um, you know, looking back at, at the race, was I going to make the team on that day? Probably not because those were three, four phenomenal women um, that we now have representing us at London, but I would have liked to run with them a bit longer. Um, I just had a couple things happen the last few weeks as far as my blood levels that were, you know, in or out of my control. So just other things to work on, and like Ben said, not a complete failure, but, um, you know, just for us, we set the bar pretty high, so an eighth place finish at US Champs is a disappointment, um, but yeah, moving forward, I think it's a, a good step in the right direction and staying healthy and just trying to build a really good base going forward. And then what was special because your 10 keys were right back to back and it was the same thing at Stanford. So was that a kind of a cool, similar situation? Like, because when Steph, you were warming up, Ben was kind of ha hanging out. Am I right? Was that the order? It, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah. 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 It was special at Stanford probably because like both races went really well for us. So yeah. it was probably less special that Ben had to watch me kind of struggle a bit. Um, he had known how I felt the last couple of weeks, so it might not been too much of a shock to him, but you know, there's an emotional component to it that either you're seeing your other partner suffer a little more than they would have liked um, versus coming on top and having some outstanding performance. But I don't think it actually affects how we go in. You know, if I watch Ben race and he didn't have a good one, I wouldn't like feel bad for myself or be thinking about him during my race. Um, you just kind of have to you know, watch the other person, cheer for them, and then go do your business, I would say. I don't know if he feels the same. Well, in both times, Steph's, I guess, maybe had it better off because she's raced first, so she can sort of watch me race once she's done, so her result's already taken care of. Uh, but, yeah, it's 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 an interesting dynamic. I think Steph would probably prefer me running the 10K than when I run the steeplechase because she gets so crazy nervous when I run the steeplechase for obvious reasons of barriers and water jumps and the amount of falls that happen in that race. I understand that, but... Um, I always love running the steeplechase, but I guess that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is it is different, and like Steph's, it wasn't a huge surprise to me. I mean, even if Steph was 100% ready to go, it was just the women's 10K was, it was full of some very good women, and um, kind of when they took the pace and made it fast, there was that was definitely an, a possibility. And when they do that, you have to be sort of realistic and. Uh, not not go crazy on the pace. So I, when I saw Steph um, a little bit off the lead group of two miles into the race because I was just peeking out through the call room here and there. I mean, I wasn't super surprised because I can I knew they were running fast. I was hearing the announcer telling splits of you know they were on 31:30, 31:45 pace in in warm conditions. So um, I think she kind of did pretty well on the night and um, yeah. So it is an interesting dynamic, but it's fun. And was it special being at Sacramento back where you guys met when you were in college? Because I remember you guys were telling me that on the, we were in the car on the way to the track. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Like, that just, like, what are the odds? I don't know, like, was that really special? Yeah, it was a long time ago, uh, which is also, yeah, Sacramento sort of had this, like, reoccurring theme. Like, uh, in 2003 was the first time I ran NCAA championships was in Sacramento. And then 2005 was my second uh, NCAA championships, and that's when I met Steph in Sacramento. Um, and then the last time I competed in Sacramento was weeks after we had had Riley. So that was three years ago. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to run USA's because Riley was due right around USA's. He came a couple of days early. I booked a last minute ticket. So I definitely remember like that stadium kind of has these, this weird connection that brings us back to like, I guess like little history markers of our family. Um, so yeah, it is kind of fun and we vary on our stories of where we exactly met outside the stadium or next to the river path but it really doesn't matter that but it just was kind of special to go back there for that reason yeah also probably um forget that i ran cim marathon um yeah. just months before in december so that was kind of cool i mean i feel like the town is special to me now um having placed second there i you know, big goal is to try to win that race, but it's very hard to win a marathon. So I have a little piece of that town, I guess, in my heart now. Yeah. I remember we were going to get um, our app credentials, and we were going, like, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's like a half mile to go. And yeah. Ben's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, it was weird being at the 
hotel picking up credentials for the track meet when you're getting ready to run in like 85, 95 degree weather. When then last time we've been there, stuff ran perfect marathon weather was 45 degrees, but it's oh, like wow. the same hotel, mm-hmm. um, but just such a different sort of mindset. Shows how like different races really bring different sort of um, thoughts and emotions out. So. And then, Ben, this is your 15th straight USAs. You got a little bit of media coverage for that, but is there anything that you think didn't come out in that, like, Runner's Wood article about this being your 15th year competing straight, which is incredible? Yeah, I just, like, throughout my career, and and I've always, I guess, prided myself on on consistency of training, on consistency in, in racing, and, and sometimes in running that doesn't get sort of the the press a lot of times it's the one breakout performance um Mm -hmm. and i've seen that through my career of the next hot college kid coming out and they run something amazing and then i always think well if they can stick around and see where they're at in three or four years um and so yeah it's kind of been sort of this goal of mine like it didn't start out that way but now it's almost the older i get the more that becomes a little bit of the piece of i guess my story and every career has their own story and um you know i'm not necessarily a fan of streaks when they're just a streak like if it's just running if you just like run the same road race for 30 years i mean that's that is something but i like this streak because there's also you have to qualify every year and it's a stringent qualifying so you have to year in and year out be running um pretty good times and i've kind of finished all over the map as far back as finishing last place in 2004 trials in the steeplechase um, up to second place in 2010 steeplechase. So I'm kind of everywhere in the middle. So um, yeah, it's just kind of kind of a fun thing now to see how long I can keep it going and uh, we'll see. Nice. So what, within 15 years um, competing at USA's, what was your most memorable race at either USA's or trials? Yeah, it's a tough one because they all have a lot of memories, some good. So if you're just looking at just... By the way, as a preface, Ben has a really hard time answering favorite of anything. <laughs> okay. So he might give you like three that have um, a special well, I'll make I'll make them quick. Okay. Um, <laughs> in, in two, the, like when I missed making the Olympic team in 2012, by you know, I was fifth and on paper really the fourth with the standard because fourth place didn't have the standard. So I was kind of the alternate... Um, that was just like heartbreaking because it's you're so close. Um, and then, yeah, they're just every year just have different things. Like, and so, like, the one year when Riley had just like to a year after he'd been born, it was like the first year I didn't make the steeplechase final for like a decade. And it was like, I'm looking at my son who's like so little and he causes so much of like what like leads to like tiredness, but then you're like, yeah, we love him so much. So it, it kind of that wavering thing. And then when you go off like just performance, finishing second in 2010 was just like awesome. Like I was so close to winning, you know, I would have liked to win, but um, it's all, it's just like a great experience to finish that high. And I miss world teams by like a little bits amount, little amounts, you know, a couple seconds here and there. So yeah, you just like, everything just goes through the head and it's crazy to like when you kind of break it down that like every year has something special. And my memory is locked into all that stuff so I could almost go through like year by year just by memory and pull something out but um yeah there's been a lot of memories that's for sure that's crazy so then I was thinking about that because that streak is just unreal because that's like three quarters of my life essentially (laughs) that just blows my mind like it just it's it's insane Um, yeah I think we figured that like some guys on the team were were like seven or eight years old when I ran my first USA's and uh when if I guess if I could make it to where I run a race uh, USA is against someone that like wasn't born or ran my first one would be maybe okay. that's when I could end the streak. But uh, when was your first year? It was two thousand three. Okay. So when yeah. were you born? I was born nineteen ninety seven. Yep. So there we go. See, You're getting closer. You would have been about six. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Those the college kids who are my age. That's nuts. <laughs> so going to college. So how did you guys both end up at your respective institutions in college? Because you guys were both very competitive in college, but weren't necessarily like, you know, like an Alio Strand or like. Mm-hmm. you know you know like stud stud status yeah um so I grew up in Phoenix Arizona and I went to an all-girl high school Xavier and we just looking back now when you're in high school you don't really realize um how special or how valuable your high school coach is but knowing him now he's an incredible man um Dave Vansickle yeah he just had a lot of faith in me and I didn't really return that maybe faith to him um yeah I just was kind of a, a 
don't know, jack-off teenager who didn't show up to practice all the time. I ate a lot of fast food. I drank alcohol when I shouldn't have, um, and I just was a bit of a slacker. But then, like, as my high school career kind of progressed, I, I got a little more into running, and I started to listen to him, and I just gradually got better. And then my senior year, um, I kind of just had a, a pretty big breakthrough, and it gave me a, the opportunity to... Um, running college and then I started to think okay you know maybe I do want to do this um, you know well into college and then perhaps beyond because I just started to love it a little more and um, I ran I ended up running 458 in the mile which yes across the country like isn't that impressive in 2002 you know there still were not a ton of women who were breaking five minutes in the mile but in Arizona that was like pretty unheard of um, and so I was second at the Arizona State Meet and then I just ended up looking at a couple colleges and ultimately it came down to I'm a big people person so I met um, Pete Dolan at UC Santa Barbara and within like I don't know 10 to 15 minutes of chatting with him I was just like I like this guy um, I just felt like he he got me, and when I asked him like his long-term approach to training, you know, he wanted to develop people that were going to be better their last year than their first year, and that was really appealing. So I ended up, um, yeah, taking my college career out to UC Santa Barbara, and then the first couple of years, I still t tried to convince him that I was a miler. Like every <laughs> high school kid, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a miler, totally. Um, you know, and he saw my stride, and he saw the things that I was running. And he's like, okay, well, you're not really a miler. You know, let's give the 5K a try. And then but my junior year, he's like, let's give the 10K a try. And I ended up running 33.26 or 7 for my first 10K at Stanford. Um, and that became a school record. And then at that time, that automatically qualified me for NCAs. It's a very different system back then. Yeah, and we just felt like, wow, maybe the longer distances are my, are my forte. And... Uh, I graduated being a two-time All-American in the 10,000. I was eighth and then fifth my last year. Um, yeah, I never was the NCAA champ, but I, I feel like with the help of my high school and college coach, their approach um, to my training and to like the mental preparation and the psychology, I just, I never felt burnt out and I felt like I could keep running my whole life. And I wouldn't, I don't think I'd ever trade it for being an NCAA champ and perhaps being, you know, run to the ground like mm -hmm. some colleges or, you know, developing eating disorders or things that were like a shortcut to being on the top quicker. I really like my progression the way I did it because I think it has paved the way for, for the kind of professional career I've had now. Yeah, similar to Steph from the standpoint that we both did, we didn't go to like powerhouse colleges and what is kind of the benefit of those colleges is they usually have like less pressure from like an athletic director or something that's like, we need to win national titles. We need people like you need to recruit the superstars. And as freshman year, we want them already like running really fast. Um, and I didn't even run track in high school. I played golf during the track season because in San Diego, that was awesome. I got to play all these great golf courses for free. Um, so my like each year of high school, I'd run cross country in the fall, I'd play soccer in the winter, and then I would golf in the spring, and it was a pretty sweet setup. Um, so because of that, though, I really couldn't go to many colleges from like, a recruiting standpoint because I didn't have track times. Um, so I went to a junior college, San Diego Mesa, and um, kind of like what Seth was saying, you get you just never really know like what you're going to luck into. And my coach there, Manny Batista, who I still get to see most years at like US Champs because he does a lot of stuff with team processing and he just did a great job of sort of bringing us along slowly. And it was nice going to a junior college because you're racing only freshmen and sophomores. You're not already trying to race 21, 22 year olds when you're 18 years old. That's a huge different um, difference, especially like for men of like a development. Um, and so that just sort of slowly brought me along. And I think it really led to the longevity stuff was kind of talking about in, in a career of that. I didn't feel this as a freshman. I ran like 1511 in the 5k and I thought it was awesome because I was racing at junior colleges. If I had run 1511 as a, as a freshman at like a big university, a big college, you know, that might've been looked at as like, well, you know, Hey, you know, pat on the back. Let's see what we can do later. But, um, so I just kind of had that, I was racing to win races and being up front, And that was like a good, lesson to just and you know as I got older and then transferred to a four-year college at Cal Poly San Luis, uh, San Luis Obispo then I was ready to still race P5 
people at much faster races, but still be in contention to be up up at the front and trying to win races, which I think's um, really important. So, um, yeah, Mesa College on the Cal Poly for a few years, and by the time I graduated, um, had done enough to land myself a professional contract. And uh, yeah, it was it was kind of like each year I'd never planned more than like a year or two ahead, and uh, I guess it just kind of worked for me. And now things are great. So. <laughs> So how did you get into steeple, being that you didn't even run track in high school? I think the main th reason I didn't run track in high school was because I thought it would be boring just running around the track, and I like cross country. And so then when I went to San Diego Mesa College, you got a coach who's thinking, this guy's never run track before, and he's trying to convince me to run steeplechase. So um, he's like, gosh, what am I going to do with this guy? But um, I just like the allure of the steeplechase to me brought, like, other sports like into track um i played all every sport i could as a kid and so that kind of got me like okay the steeplechase is not it's running but there's obstacles and there's like agility and so i just that like gave me something to focus on and um i'm easy just easily distracted and so maybe that gave me like the focus i needed like i could i had to jump something every like 10 to 20 seconds so i'm in there focused and uh i, yeah, I love the event from the first time i did it and um I just keep keep doing it and yeah that's what I got 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 me into it it was nice that I did pretty well at it uh right away um and yeah I just kind of took it from there and by the time I graduated I was like all right let's try to finish high at U.S. Championships so so who did you sign with coming out of college and how did that how was that process like for both of you because it obviously is like a really murky waters for a lot of kids coming out of school yeah and every story is different and um I still want to, I'll say it on here, maybe I'll launch it. I, I want to launch this, um, I don't know what you call it, program. And I think I called it Running 101. I just thought of this one night when I was like pregnant, really bored, where it's um, it's this idea, and I don't know if it's a membership, but like Ben said, there are so many different paths. Like you have kids that are winning NCAs, kids that are like fifth and sixth, and they're all Americans, yeah. kids that got to um, NCAs, but either had a really long season, they were burnt out, but maybe like they are really good. Um, like what path should they join a group? Um, are they being offered the world by all these different shoe companies? And you just don't know, you don't know what agent to sign with, you don't know if you should have an agent, but what if like kids, based on how they finish their college career, could have a pro that had their exact same like ending to their NCA career. Like, you know, a, a girl who wins NCA is like toxicially mm -hmm. Flanagan and Kara Goucher. And they kind of tell them, oh, well, I signed with agent. This is how it went. Kids that just made it to NCAs talk with so-and-so. Um, like, wouldn't that be cool if, if the pros, one, were up for it, like volunteering, and then they got matched with a kid coming out of college? I don't think anything like that exists, but I think it would be something cool. And if I have some more time in my life, I would like to launch that. <laughs> yeah, there definitely has been a little bit more help, I think, over the last five or six years with programs and, and like, seminars you can go to. Um, I know, like, Athlete Biz has yeah. some, like, resources for stuff like that. So I think that, that gap is being connected. Um, but, yeah, it's still you'll see kids that sign with an agent right away, but maybe they weren't really at a level, so they don't land a shoe contract right away. So then the agent's not really getting a lot from them, and, the, and it's sort of almost a clouded water. But um, my personal experience was, I guess is maybe one of the downsides of going to a little bit of a smaller college is those coaches don't aren't as used to call, like tons of kids coming out of college and like being ready to go get a contract right away. Um, but my college coach, Mark Conover, who went, um, he won a lift trials in the marathon, went back in his running days, I think in 88 was when he won. Um, his agent, Bob Wood, was like pretty much done being an agent, but was like, I'll take a, a, you know, a, one of your guys on. So he just set me up with him and he shopped around to a, a few shoe contracts and I was able to get a shoe contract right away, which was awesome because I didn't know how it worked. And to have that, it was this, I remember calling my dad and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get a shoe contract. And his thing was like, well, you could, you could do your teaching and that. And I'm like, no, the shoe contract's supposed to be there. So you can like just run. Um, and that was my experience. And I know Steph was a little different because she didn't get the shoe contract right out of college. Um, so if you want to. Yeah, I was offered actually kind of a spot to join a group. Um, okay. It was like training groups weren't that big at the time. I think 
Um, Terrence Mahone had a group in Mammoth, and then, yeah, there were a few popping up, but they weren't as big because this was 2007. Um, I ended up not going with that group right away because I felt like I wanted to explore some other options. So I just kind of trained up my own for a little bit, um, and I started, like, searching a couple of coaches across the country, and I ended up moving up to Eugene, Oregon, and I was going to work with, um, at the time, Frank Gagliano was mm -hmm. the coach of the Oregon Track Club, which is funny because that was more like mid-distance, even though like I know the 10K was going to be my shortest, so I ended up moving up there. He was great. We sat down. I, you know, I, I really liked his personality, um, but when it came down to it, I don't think our training philosophies were going to be the same, so I was just in a running shoe store, Eugene Running Company, um, and I was trying on some shoes, and I had just run my first um, U.S. Champs, the 10K, a Tufts 10K, and I, I finished seventh there, and the guy that was helping me with my shoes, he was like, oh, like, what did you just run? And I told him my time, and he was like, oh, my gosh, like, like who are you? And I told him, <laughs> and after I said, like, what I ran, he's like, oh, you're going to be a marathoner. And I was like, whoa, 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 slow your roll here. I just ran a 10K. Um, but I don't know. It was pretty incredible that he just, like, saw something in me because of that. Um, and his name is Brad Hudson. And so he was like, I would like to coach you. Um, and so I parted ways very – um, nicely with Frank Agliano, he totally understood, and I ended up working with Brad for the next few years in Eugene, but on the flip side of that, I was also battling some injuries and different health concerns, and I didn't know it, but I ultimately would be diagnosed with celiac disease a few years later, so that was kind of the reason, um, and I look back, and I always wonder, like, what would I have run under Brad, you know, if I didn't have, because I thought he was a phenomenal coach, um, he really, he worked really well with me and he got me as fit as I could be, you know, with all these things going on. So I'm, I'm grateful for him to almost kind of starting the early part of my professional career. Um, and then I relocated to Flagstaff in 2010 and I worked with Greg McMillan and I joined his group at the time. Um, yeah, and then stayed there for a few years, excuse me, here with that group. And then Ben and I decided to start a family in 2013. So that kind of was like a transition of where I was going to go after. And then Ben ended up being my coach for the next year. Um, and he'll remind me, and I agree with him, it was one of the best uh, years of my career when he was coaching me because we're really good. We don't have a very like emotional relationship when it comes to coaching. Like I wouldn't say, oh, I had a crappy workout. It was your fault. Um, I felt like we were pretty um, emotionally neutrally charged. And yeah, it was a, it was a great year in 2013. And then Ben Rosario moved out to Flagstaff uh, within that time frame. And he talked to Ben and I and said he wanted to launch a professional running group and thinks that we'd be a good fit. And then three years later, here we are. So what was it like going from McMillan to now Northern Arizona Elite with Coach Ben? Was that really exciting after your old group had kind of like disappeared? You know, with, with Ben and I being just in general older in the sport, we had you know, been in several groups. Ben was with Oregon Trek Club with Mark Rowland, who's a, you know, world-renowned coach. And we're definitely group people, but we also know how to do it alone. Like that year in 2013 with Ben coaching me, we don't really need motivation to get out the door. Like we are very intrinsically motivated. And we also know a lot about the physiology of the sport. Like I understand what tempo and threshold means where some runners are just like, just tell me what pace to run and how far, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to run blindly. We're, we're not like that. And so I think that period that we had just to ourselves, you know, it was kind of fun just being able to be on our own our own schedule. And um, ultimately, when you either have a failure or success, it's on you. It's, it's no one else. So that was kind of unique for us. But after a while, I think more importantly for Ben, Ben training with people was uh, is pretty invaluable. He does really well when he can just, you know, tuck in with – um, a bunch of guys and you know trade off work whereas I kind of a little I'm a little more of a, a grinder and I can do that solo maybe that's why I love the marathon um, yeah so it came out like a really unique time after we had my our first son Riley that uh, we were probably looking for a little bit of that company and structure again and yeah it just worked out that coach Ben wanted to start the group Oh, so when you guys were moving out to Flagstaff, like, especially for you, Steph, because you came out here first, what really drew you here? 
besides the group I had you heard Yeah, from? no, that's, I mean, I grew up in Phoenix, and funny enough, we didn't actually come to Flagstaff that much growing oh. up. Like, my family did not come here. I think we came here for, like, two cross-country races, which is awful to a yeah. high schooler in Phoenix. You're like, yeah, let's come up and race at Buffalo Park, and it's 7,000 feet. And sometimes when you're in high school, you don't understand the concept of altitude, but you just know you ran, like, minutes lower than you can run at sea level. Um, I think my coach just was like a glutton for punishment. And he was like, yeah, let's come up and just uh, have a hard effort. So I didn't truly know that much about Flagstaff. But I had just heard um, from a couple people. People were doing like individual stints out here. Like I remember Amy Hastings was turning out for, here for a little bit. Um, Paula Radcliffe like had come out. This was like, you know, like early 2000s. I remember this going on. And when Greg was starting the group, I just started to look up and I'm like, oh yeah, I know Flagstaff, just a couple hours up from Phoenix, you know, what's the whole benefit of altitude? And I was realizing, you know, a lot of the East Africans live and train and grow up at altitude. So obviously there's something to it. Um, yeah, and it just came a point in my career where I either needed to move on from running or make a change because it just wasn't working for me and Eugene for a, a couple different reasons but it was working for Ben so that was probably the hardest thing to be like we've been together now for you know four to five years but my career is kind of taking me in a different direction but you know plenty of relationships that happens right people get job offers and have to move across the country and I felt like we could weather the storm um, so I he moved me out here actually and then he went back to Eugene and we like kind of joked that it was like all right well hope this works out and, and I'm sure both of us like in the back of our minds knew it was going to but it, it was a little scary at first um, but ultimately I thrived right away and, and saw a lot of success within the first eight to ten months of being out here um, and then after the 2012 trials it was just kind of a decision we, we needed to make and, and Ben kind of I guess you could say sacrifice on that end and moved out here and yeah. I moved out here before the 2012 trials. I moved out here in 2011. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, Steph, with what Steph's saying, like, I think sometimes you have to take a look at what you're you're doing in your training. And in, in, in Eugene, there was nothing wrong, but she kept getting hurt every few months and not ultimately found out was because a lot of her food allergies. So it was sort of when you have gluten intolerance and, and other food allergies and you're keeping eating those food, it's like attacking your own system. So you're not recovering well. You're either holding on to stuff or you're getting rid of stuff because your body doesn't know what to do with this foreign substance that it doesn't know how to process. So it was, it was kind of all like good timing that as she moved to Flagstaff, that was finding all that stuff out because no matter what, if you're having like a, an aversion or you're not doing well in a certain city or under a certain training or coach or group, if you're not like happy with things, it doesn't, usually end well so I think that when she had talked about moving out here even though like I was doing well in Eugene like I understood why she was looking to make the change and I kind of it was a it was a tough situation but like I joked with her because when we were living in the central coast like when she was in Santa Barbara and I was in San Luis Obispo she was the one that moved to Eugene first and then I followed her up there and then I usually just kind of make do with wherever I'm at and so I was like all right I'm up in Eugene now I joined the Oregon Track Club this is great and then a couple of years later, she's like, now I'm going to move to Flagstaff. So I'm like, all right. So then a year or so later, like, I moved out to Flagstaff and, and then just sort of make made it all work. But I, um, I also get this, like, fortunately, I've had a lot less of the struggles um, from, like, an injury or, like, you know, stress fractures or certain things or, or finding out food allergies where Steph's had to battle a little bit more of that. And um, it's like, doesn't mean that runners that don't get hurt don't have struggles because sometimes when you're never hurt or not hurt as much, you kind of get into like a a mundane routine where like sometimes injuries make you come back like fighting harder or like more hungry for things. Um, so, you, so yeah, just sort of, I know that when she moved out here, she was excited and, and it worked out that now we're here and we have a house and we have our families here and, and her family, Steph's family, immediate family still in Phoenix and mine's in San Diego. So it's kind of really been uh, sort of just a blessing in disguise that we ended up here and everything has worked out um, really well and we're stable and um, yeah we get to see family easier now that we're closer to them and yeah it's good. And when you guys moved, were moving out here did you make your marathon debuts after coming out here? 
Or was it before? Uh, I actually ran my first. People like joke about the like re-debut. I'm calling uh, Ben's gonna run a full marathon. I'm, I'm gonna call it a re-debut for him. <laughs> but um, no, I'll talk about that joke. But yeah, I actually ran my first marathon um, pretty shortly after college. It was 2008 okay. because when Brad was training me, he was like, you know what? Let's just like get the distance in. Let's see what it's like. Let's try to run like an easy, conserved effort. Um, and I ended up running 240 at Twin Cities, and he was right, like, the way he knew I was a marathoner as I ran it, I think the first half was, like, 120.07 and, like, 120.03. So like, I was even. within, like, yeah, four seconds um, of, of each of each half. So we kind of knew, like, the marathon was probably my event, and then then the injuries and all the health stuff happened, um, years, you know, years to follow. Um, and then when I found out about celiac, that was 2010 moved here and then eight months later is when I ran Houston Marathon so I joke that that was like my re-debut it. it was still my second marathon but it was kind of the marathon that was the athlete that I truly felt like I was um, I know like you can't ever say well it's still your second but it just felt like having figured out celiac like that was what I was really capable of um, and that's when I ran 229 at Houston Real fast. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Skip the 230s. Yeah. Skip them all together. Yeah. Like people were making lots of funny jokes. It was kind of cool. Um, yeah. Then I set the bar for myself really high and haven't been able to um, uh, PR in a few years, but, but I'm looking to take vengeance on that. Yeah. And then Ben, I mean, I guess you can tell, I call it re-debut. <laughs> He's run a few marathons. But... Yeah. When, um, I guess the year that stuff was breaking up with Riley and it's like when you're both runners, you both make a lot of your money through running. Um, and when Seth wasn't running, I kind of, I mean, as much as track is where I kind of discovered my love for running, I it doesn't, track races tend to pay a lot less than road races. So I was running all these rock and roll marathons in 2014. And um, so I ended up running five of them in one year. Wow. And But I was running like each one like just to try to win. And, um, so I ran five marathons. They're all like in like the two twenties, uh, between like two twenty one and two twenty seven. So I, I've experienced the distance, but I haven't really like gone for broke or gone for like a big time. I did run the trials, but like about third of the field was one of the people that dropped out. Um, and that was just kind of one of those, a, a little bit of self-preservation. I, I'm not a fan of dropping out of races. The only other race I've ever dropped out of my life were steeplechases where I like hurt myself. Um, going back to Steph, why she loved me running event. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I had a great buildup for the marathon trials. Obviously, a lot of people, the heat killed them that day, and they had to drop out. And, and the marathon is definitely a race that's long enough that you could do a lot of damage if you're running half the race, like, with something hurting or, like, really struggling. Um, so this fall, yeah, I'm going to gonna really try to take a crack at just getting in, like, a, a good marathon. Like, it, I don't really have a time set, but just something that, like, somewhat matches up with, like, other PRs of mine, or at least like in the ballpark, would be um, would be good. So yeah, in some ways it feels like yeah, like we're we're training towards this marathon, and it's like the first like risk that I'm gonna take in in the event, and it's a brutal event. So we'll see how it ends up. Do you think it'll be fun? Because a lot of your teammates on the team are also doing marathons, different ones in different situations. Do you think it'll be fun having that kind of group mentality towards the distance? Yeah, I think the yeah. theme will be like Misery Loves Company this fall because we're all going to be running a lot of miles, um, but we're all going to be sharing that like same feeling out on Lake Mary, down in Camp Verde. Um, yeah, and there's just something like like that's unspoken or respected among people, even like women and men you know like I'm not running the times that the guys are and vice versa but like they can understand the suffering I'm going through and we all kind of have our own individual goals um, but it's this like collective respect I think that exists among the team and you know we all have really high goals for ourselves um, and each person has kind of their own journey whatever you call it to to get to that end goal I think yeah I'll be exciting I know I mean, if everyone coach Ben is probably the most excited because when he started this group, the you know he wanted it to be a marathon focused group. I mean, that doesn't mean we only run marathons. Right. Clearly, we had people running at the track championships, and mm -hmm. we probably will always have that. But from him, he's like he lets he loves that event, and so to have you know the majority of the team is going to run a fall marathon, and those oh, which ones are running and all that stuff is getting finalized right now, and we'll you know be making releases, but. Um, it's just exciting to get ready for that as a group that even though people are going to be running different marathons, 
they're all going to fall in the fall. Fall in the fall, that's funny. They all happen in the fall. And so it'll just kind of be like exciting to see like who runs well. And we know that the, the odds are there'll probably be some people that, that don't run well, but that's kind of the nature of the marathon. Of course, it'd be great if everyone ran awesome, but that's the reality. It probably wouldn't happen that way, even if everyone's training goes great. Um, but that's what I think is cool about being in the group is everyone, like Steph said, under, kind of understands that we'll all go through the same the same battle and hopefully get some good results from it. So Steph, right after you had Riley and Hudson, how did you adjust your expectations and stay patient when you came back to racing? This was a coach that my um, a question that my coach had at Amherst because I told her that I was talking to y'all and she was like, "Oh, I'd love to ask because she just had a baby in September." Okay, yeah, you know I'm still adjusting to to my reaction. They Ben will probably tell you I'm I'm crazy. I am what is that batshit crazy? <laughs> um, I go back and forth, right? Like I have super high goals and my whole hashtag and like line is dream big and there's some part of me that like knows the things I want to do and like whether it's stubborn or naive like I really believe like one day I can run 220 for the marathon um you know I really believe I can get my half down to 67 minutes but it's just taking longer in in ways that I don't know if I didn't expect it, but it was almost like uncharted territory because I, not many women have stopped their careers and had kids, and especially two kids. So my path is a little unique. So where I go back and forth with is back and forth with I'll finish a race and be like, gosh, like I really wanted more from that. I wanted to win this race, or I wanted to run, you know, like under 229 at CAM, but I ran 232 in a second. But then I'll step back and be like, well, you do have you know, a 15-month-old at CIM, and you also have a two-and-a-half-year-old. So I, I try to give myself a break sometimes, but it's really hard in a sport where, you know, sometimes you're under the microscope and there's lots of other women who are, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. So it, it's a constant battle. I don't think I have it figured out, but I, I journal a lot and I try to write down, like, my goals and, and go back to them. And when I write down the goals, they're always process goals. Like, how do I get there? And when I look back at this year, I did achieve like a lot of things that I wanted. I talked about like getting my speed down. Last year, I like was barely breaking 70 seconds for like a 400. And then this year, like I ran 65 seconds for yeah. a 400. So even though that didn't translate into doing anything in a race better, I did achieve like those little goals or you know, I wanted to make the world team in cross country. And then after I did that and I wasn't that fit at USA's, at, at um, the US cross trials, I was like, well, why don't you try to lead Team USA in Uganda? And I didn't. I was second American, but like I'm still knocking on the door. And if I, I feel like if I keep knocking on the door, like eventually I'm going to just bust through the door. So I'm working on it. And I know I give a lot of people advice on, on dreaming big because I think you have to do that. But you do have to remember like there are steps you have to take. And then you also have to pat yourself on the back along the way. Because if you don't do that, you know, then it takes it takes the joy out of the actual process. If you finish every race and every workout and you're like, I want more, I'm disappointed in myself, then it's not fun. Um, and, and part of this is, part of it for me is like, it is fun. Like I love my job. I love running every single day and I want to leave some sort of, you know, impact on the sport. And it's not really just my results, but it's sharing it along the way and sharing the like realness and the ups and downs. Um, yeah. So, so I think I'm doing that. And you yeah. broke 32 minutes here so at a new PR, which is incredible. Thank you. That was so impressive. Yeah, yeah I think like what Steph's talking about, like the process of you have these goals that sometimes don't lead to the end results. And you can do training, like you can do better training on paper and run the same results one year. But like eventually, hopefully you have the like breakthrough. Um, and like that's what she's facing right now is she, yes, the kids are getting older and she's getting farther away from having them. But there are still certain things that limit the amount of training, but she's getting more training now than she could six months ago and six months before that. And so it's like, she's sometimes will say like two steps forward or one step back. And there's always like, there's so many examples of that in running, but they, they don't get the, the press because it's easy to just show like person has a breakthrough race, then they get articles and then people read that and think that they're just going to have this huge breakthrough. But like, like I know for myself, one thing was freshening my career, like for four years, like my last year of college and the three or two or three years out of college, I was like, season's best was like 833, 832, 832, 832. So for four years, I was just like 
I felt like my training was getting better, but I was just like end of the year, same, the same time pretty much. And then it was like, then all of a sudden the next three years, I, nothing really changed, but I was like, my season of the best were 826, 822, 819. So I had this now a three year of like progression down. And that was like really positive, like because the race results were there, but I had three years where all the training was better, but the race results weren't, but sometimes just takes a while for everything to sort of just like transition over and, and, um, the meds like kind of shows like no matter what, whether you've had a baby or you've training been fine or you've missed something for like a major injury, like there are just steps that, that sort of, you take a step back here and there, um, in the race results sometimes, but there's things that can lead that you don't see. So, yeah. And those are definitely really applicable lessons and being in college, you only have a finite amount of time. So it's good to hear that, you know, yeah, exactly. things take time. I think that's something everyone needs to hear. So we're just going to end with a couple wrap up questions. So my first question is, what is your favorite flavor of picky bars for both of you? I know Ben's hard with favorites. <laughs> yeah. oh, actually, I like off fudge nuts is my favorite. Okay. That's like one thing that's easy for me. So. Okay. I'm cookie dopeness. Okay. Um, did you do all of that flavor? I did not. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know why, like, honestly, um, pregnancy kind of changed my taste buds a little bit it, it does yeah. um and then I came out of it differently whereas like I like certain flavors and then after I had my kids I was just on like this cookie dopeness kick when I was like breastfeeding and I don't know it's like my it is just my favorite flavor like I asked for boxes of it and <laughs> that's like my pre-race bar it has been probably for the last like year and a half oh wow yeah nice. um what is your favorite race that you've both ran in doesn't have to be the best, you know, like where you set your PR, but just like a fun race, good experience. I try to, well, I guess we've run Falmouth together, but like we've, we've had like good years, not at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I feel like one year at Wharf to Wharf was kind of a cool like road race for us. Um, from a road race standpoint, we, one year, um, I was, were we both second? We were both second. We were both second. Yeah. So it was like cool. We one way from winning but that was fun and then really this year that the 10k at Stanford was was pretty special yeah um to both run PRs and, and for step to squeak under 32 minutes was exciting um we used to run a lot more races together than we do now with the kids so I think that's why Stanford is also a little special because uh, running the same races doesn't happen as much yeah anymore probably the like lowest odds most special is we both won um big sir half marathon on the same day like oh, yeah. that's pretty rare in 2012 yeah. we both won the same race and one winning a race is really hard <laughs> at this yeah. level as people know um yeah and somehow we both pulled it out on the same morning so that was pretty cool and then four days later, we were stupid, and we raced another race on Thanksgiving, and both won that. We so. sure did, yeah. And then, so. and then two weeks later, silly enough, I ran a marathon. Yeah. She was hot. She was running well at that yeah. point. So oh, yeah, that was that was a good little series. That for was kind of a little marathon. Oh, that's yeah, that fun. fun. That was fun. Um, so, what are your what are both yours pet peeves? Not about each other, just like in general. <laughs> Oh, I thought we were getting serious. Is, oh, no, 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 no. How long is this podcast? <laughs> no, just a quick little one. It's like mine. It's like people who walk super slow. Like, they, they bother me so much. That's funny. Ben has a lot. I have a lot. <laughs> but, like, they're not. They're not bad. It's like, just, like, loading the dishwasher. And like, I just, like, look at a dishwasher. And it's like this puzzle. And it's like, some. You, there's two people. You either load dishwashers with, like, efficiency or you just, like, just throw stuff in there. No, so, there's right in the middle, and that's me. <laughs> just like middle. normally not taking too much time, but like trying to put away. Wes Gregg is like you. He's exactly the same, and Allie just throws up her hand. So it's like, <laughs> why even load the dishwasher when I know he's going to take them all out and reload them? Yeah. Anyway, um, is that your only pet peeve? I mean, I have a lot of other ones. I can't, like, I don't, I don't, I can't think of them until like it Ooh. happens, and I'm like, oh, for sure. Has Scott Fobble, he hasn't done a podcast. No, I do one with Craig. Gosh, Craig had a couple. I'm so excited for Scott. I Can I guess Scott Fobble's Yeah, go for it. It's going to be when someone's iPhone has unread emails on the icon. That drives him absolutely <laughs> ballistic. Yeah, I occasionally just text him my screen. Because it's so, <laughs> it says, like, it says so many. He has, so like, 10,280. Like, oh, that would bother me. And uh, yeah, like, 10,379 Yeah, right and Scott's now, like, so what it's... are you doing with your life? I'm like, Scott, we are busy. And he's like, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Yeah, like, we've funny. had arguments. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, honestly, like, I don't have many pet peeves. I... I don't know if it's, like, where I've gone through in life and the things I've experienced. I just know, like, 
people just have all different ways of doing things and you kind of just have to accept people for who they are and you know you have your own quirk so I try to be like okay like if I have a pet peeve what are some things that I do that could like piss other people off so I try not to have too many real pet peeves. I think part of my problem is like I had a dad that explained everything growing up so like <laughs> I know a lot of random knowledge or just like in general like you just have to know something about everything so when something comes around or like someone's explaining the rules like a card game and I'm like, okay, got it. And then like either someone else doesn't, they're like, wait, now what's this rule? I'm like, oh, come on, how many times do you have to explain this? So I don't know. I guess I get, I jump to conclusions too quickly. And That's my pet peeve, Ben's intolerance to so many things <laughs> that you are inadequate about. <laughs> it's not them. I'm nice. I'm, not. I'm a nice person. Let's run on a positive note. So what's your favorite team memory with NAZ? Do you have one? Um, yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of good things. Um, I mean, this last winter and stuff training for the LA Marathon Trials was was kind of fun because we just you know everyone else in the country, and it's like one of the few races where everyone is going to. Um, and even though I dropped out, it was really it was a positive note for a team that hasn't existed that many years to take four people to the trials. Yeah, I dropped out. So that's, I guess the one like X on the resume, but we had two six places and a 14 places between Matt Kellen and Scott Smith. And that's, that's pretty good odds when you look around in the country and training groups and some funding that some groups have and the, the history they have for us to kind of go, not, I mean, we kind of were the underdog in reality, but and we didn't put anyone on the team, but we sure came close and we sort of took our cracks at it. And um, so it was kind of a, a cool like step up, a step forward for the team to just show like, hey, we are, we're not like a team that's taking people and trying to develop them. We're trying to like go to the big meets and, and finish high and, and try to do stuff like that. So, yeah, I would say U.S. Cross this year um, was probably one of my most memorable because we had a really big, we had seven of us. Um, and even though Ben wasn't, usually a lot of my memories have Ben in them. But, yeah, we had three women and four men. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day or a week later, we ended up putting two of us on the world team, myself and Scott Fauble, um, because a couple people elected, you know, not to take the spots. Um, you know, Kellen was third place, so she, if she wasn't training for London Marathon, she would have gone. Um, and then Amy was, was not too far behind. And then... You know, Marty, Scott, and Craig all had mixed races. You know, Marty was disappointed, but he was up there. He was, what, 11? I think he was, like, 11th, yeah. Yeah, he was, you know, knocking on the door. And Craig and Scott were disappointed in their races. But, like Ben says, with a group as big as ours, odds are you're not going to have, you know, everyone knock it out of the park. But I think it was just, like, it was a cool day because it was such a grinder course. And the weather made it such, like muddy tough gritty conditions um yeah because of the way our sport is these days you know it's a, definitely a solo effort and solo pursuit so it's rare that you get to experience like other people's races but being there and able to see the guys compete and and run a little bit with the women was kind of unique and memorable so that's it for today's podcast. Thank you so much, Steph and Ben, for their time, and thank you, everyone, for listening. I'd also like to thank my teammate, Kevin Dooley, who you can find on SoundCloud with the username Resident K, for giving us music for the intro and conclusion. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>